One of the most common struggles in any relationship is communication. And certainly that's, that's been true in, in all of my significant relationships. And as a pastor, as I've worked with various individuals and couples, one of the common struggles that they have is communicating with people that are important to them. So just to, to prove this to you, I've, I've compiled a short list of, of common communication struggles that, that I and others have, have noticed in prominent relationships. So um, let's see if any of these ring true for you. So one common struggle in communication is this. It is believing that, that depth equals difficulty. Meaning if we talk about the hard thing and we dig deep on the hard thing, it's just gonna get harder, so let's not talk about it at all. That's a communication problem. Another common communication problem is expecting your spouse, your significant other, to be able to read your mind. I know what some of you are thinking, I knew he was gonna say that. Another common communication issue is trying to win when communicating. Rather than trying to understand the other person, you're trying to prove that you are right. And as I often say to couples that, that I'll work with as a pastor is, if you walk away from an interaction with your spouse saying to yourself, I won, both of you have lost. Another common communication issue is in the act of communicating, you get defensive and you become overbearing and you stop listening altogether. And then what often happens in response is someone gets overwhelmed and they retreat and they shut down. These are common communication struggles in relationships. Any of these resonate with you? And yet what I found in my own life and in working with others is that no matter what the other issue is in your relationship, if you can figure out the communication piece, many of the other issues can either fall in place or fall away. In important relationships, communication is key. The same is true in, in the Christian faith. I mean, after all, what we believe is that we have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But it is a relationship, and very often one of the common struggles in that relationship is a communication problem. And in this relationship, like all important relationships, communication is key, which is why we're going to start a series where we are walking through the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' disciples walked up to him at one point and they asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray, which is a common ask of disciples to their rabbi. Each rabbi, it seemed, had a signature take or teaching on prayer, and it was typical for them to, to give their disciples a uh, a unique understanding of prayer and even some explicit prayers to offer that, that kind of served as a signifier for their group, for those disciples and that rabbi. And so Jesus' disciples said, hey, Jesus, teach us to pray like other rabbis teach their people to pray. And undoubtedly, they, they expected Jesus to give them some long, kind of rambling, in-depth teaching on prayer. But what Jesus ends up doing is saying, don't be a hypocrite, play, pray like this. And he gives them a prayer that is no doubt profound, but at its heart, very simple. So simple that a, that a four-year-old could memorize it. Our goal in studying this prayer over the next few weeks is twofold. Number one, of course, to learn a little more about what it means to actually pray. But number two, and perhaps more importantly, to have a greater appreciation of the one who is inviting us into conversation. 
Now, before I I dive into the heart of the teaching, I just have to say this, that all of this that we're about to talk about this morning and in subsequent weeks will really be for naught if you don't actually, you know, pray. And so that's my challenge to you. Whether you pray a lot or you pray a little, some of you are like, I don't pray at all. And some of you are like, I pray every moment of every day. And most of us, like 99% of us, are right in the middle somewhere. Wherever you are on the spectrum of no prayer to constant prayer, my, my encouragement to you is that throughout the next few weeks, you would make a commitment to just take wherever you're at and up it just a little bit. Take some of the things that we talk about and try to put them into practice. And, and, and I, I encourage you to do that because I know it'll be beneficial for you. So as we talk about prayer, don't just walk out of here going, huh, that was interesting, what's for lunch? Maybe try to do some of it. Let's start with why we pray. The other day, just last week actually, I was having a conversation with someone in my extended family and what she said to me was this, you know, Matt, of course I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, but I have serious doubts about whether or not it's worthwhile to pray. And you could have picked my jaw up off the floor, but she said, I'm I'm not sure it matters if we pray. After all, God knows everything, so I don't need to tell him anything. And number two, if God is good, then isn't he just going to do what he thinks is best anyway, regardless of whether or not I say anything to him? And those are, those are not uncommon objections or questions to prayer. But my response is this. Here's why we pray. Two reasons why we pray. Number one, and again, this is going to be like probably painfully obvious, but it needs to be said. We pray because God invites us to pray. I, I hate to lay out the because God said so card so early in this sermon, but I, I really can't avoid it. We pray because God invites us to pray. Throughout the scriptures and throughout Throughout the history of God's people, he has spoken through, through people like Abraham and Moses and, of course, his own son, God in flesh, Jesus Christ, and through Paul and others. And he said, if you are my people, you are a praying people. You communicate to me. If we're going to be in relationship, then we need to actually talk to each other, which is why we get psalms like this, Psalm 32 Verse six, let everyone who is godly, meaning everyone who is of God in his family, walks with him, claims to know him, let everyone who is godly offer prayer. So whenever a follower of Jesus says, you know what, prayer is just not my thing, they are, they are rejecting the clear command and invitation of God to be in conversation with him. We should pray because God invites us to. And the second reason is because he promises to bless it. He promises to to hear it and to respond to it. And I know that makes our minds kind of warp and bend as we think, but he already knows, which Jesus even admits in the teaching that we just heard. Jesus admits your father knows what you need before you even ask him. And yet Jesus says, still, you should pray because he promises, even though God already knows all things, to bless you through the process of prayer. He promises to bless you through it. He promises to hear you and to respond to you and do things when you pray. In my almost 17 years of ministry, I have never had anyone come up to me and say, you know what, Matt? You know when my life started to go south? It was when I became real serious about prayer. That was the end of me. No one ever goes into prayer rehab. What happened to him? Oh, him? He got hooked on the prayer. Couldn't shake it messed him up. That never happens. God promises to bless it. He promises to hear and he promises to respond. But the only way to find that out is if you actually do it. 
Now, if you're here as a skeptic, if you're not just skeptical about prayer, but you're skeptical about the Christian faith, organized religion, all of that stuff, I want you to, to know that I see you and I understand. I would say the greatest apologetic for prayer for you would be Jesus himself. Because even if you're skeptical, chances are you, like most people, you have a certain level of respect and admiration for Jesus, at the very least for, for the kind of teacher that he was and his, his ethic of self-sacrifice. But here's the thing you have to reconcile yourself, about, reconcile to yourself to about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was a man who valued prayer. When it, was, when it was time to rest, when it was time to teach, when it was time for him to confront those who would accuse him and reject him, when it was time to do anything, it was also time for Jesus to pray. And so if you respect the person of Jesus, you have to reconcile yourself to the fact that Jesus prayed a lot. He was a person of prayer. Now, Jesus gets into the kind of the meat of his teaching on prayer, and he teaches us in this first section, he teaches us three things who we address when we pray, where this person is located, and what, among many other things, we should be praying for. So let's let's start at the beginning, shall we? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus says this This then is how you should pray. Jesus is being explicit. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus begins by teaching us how to address God. And he could have said a lot of things. He could have said, when you pray, pray like this. Dear sky God that I cannot see, almighty maker of all things, big, bad, and awesome, El Jefe. He could have said any of those things, and it would have technically been true. But what does Jesus say? He says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. Now, that tells us a lot. Among the many things that it tells us, it tells us God's attitude toward us. It tells us that God has a gracious and accepting attitude towards us. There's only one person in the scriptures who gets to call God Father. And it's not Abraham. It's not, it's not Moses. It's not David. It's not the Apostle Paul, despite all his church planting credit. It's not any of those people. The only person who calls God the Father is who? It's Jesus. He's the only one. And, and prior to this, no one that we've known, no, no one that we can see has done that. And yet what does Jesus do? Jesus says, I'm going to introduce something new. We're going to call God Father, and I'm going to invite you to call him what I call him. Now, Jesus had a unique, to say the least, relationship to the Father. You know, Jesus is God in flesh, yet mysteriously also God's own Son, begotten before all time, as the Creed just told us. He has this special relationship where he gets to say to God, you are my Father, but then he invites us to do the same. If you're with me, you call him that too. Now, just think for a moment about who is in Jesus' circle in the original context. Yes, the disciples who are... Um, uh, an interesting mix of humans, to say the least. But also he has former prostitutes, he has, he has corrupt politicians, he has skeptics, and he says to this whole crowd, this whole community, if you are with me, then you're part of the family, and you get to call God our Father. And that implies that this, this God has an attitude of grace, and acceptance for you. But it also tells us how God not only feels about us, but, 
but how he sees us. I mean, if, he, if God invites us through Jesus to see him as father, then that means he sees you and me as his children. He sees us as his children. There are only two people on the planet who get to call me father. Anybody else calls me dad and it's weird. There are only two people on the planet who get to call me father. Not too long ago, um, I asked my wife if, if there could maybe be three people in this world who could call me father. Maybe we could have another one. And her response without blinking was, yeah, with who? I was like, uh, with you? No? Okay. Major family decision just announced to me. All right, good. <laughs> when, when my kids call me dad, when they call me father, it hits my heart different. When your kid calls you mom and they call you dad, it hits your heart different. You, you know exactly who's calling out to you. And, and you know exactly the level of importance it should have. It's right at the top. And, and you know that on your best day, you're going to try to respond a certain way. You're going to try and respond attentively and patiently and calmly and do the best possible thing for them in light of their request that you can as their parent. Because they're your child. They call you dad. They call you mom. You know that your heart is theirs and that you're going to respond in a certain way. And what Jesus is saying is, when you call out to the father, you have his heart too. And he responds in a certain way, with a certain level of priority, with a desire to bless you and to answer you, to do what's best for you in light of all of his wisdom. That's God's attitude toward you. Jesus says, when you pray, call him our father. He has a heart of grace and mercy towards you, a heart of acceptance toward you. You are his child. That's what it means. One of the things I love about this teaching is that it takes all of the excuses that we bring to prayer off the table. For example, one of the, one of the reasons people will say that they, they, they don't pray is because, you know, I'm, I'm a messed up person. I've made a lot of mistakes. Who am I to have God listen to them? Well, if Jesus' teaching is true, you're a member of his family. Of course, he's going to listen to you. Or you might say, well, I, I feel like a fool when I pray because I kind of ramble. I kind of just say whatever comes to my mind. I'm easily distracted. I can't really pray because I don't know what to say. I feel foolish when I talk to God. Have you ever heard any kid ask their parent for anything? It all sounds foolish. A, a four-year-old telling their parent what they want for lunch sounds crazy. That's who we are to the Father. But it is no less important just because it might sound kind of silly. Remember, you're the child. Now, I want to recognize that some people have baggage and hurt around the notion of parents. There are some people who don't pray or maybe even don't come to church because they've got issues with the whole notion of God as a parent, of God as father. And maybe you grew up in a house where dad was distant or dad was absent or dad was always irri irritated or easily angered. And so you just kind of walked on eggshells around him. And so the notion of saying, when you pray, say, our father just hit you the wrong way. And you're like, no, thanks. I want none of that. I grew up with that. No, thank you. And what you need to remember is that Jesus is attempting to paint a very different picture than, than what you grew up with and what you know, although I want to recognize what you know, that Jesus is painting a picture of a, a patient dad, a present dad, a calm dad, a non-anxious, unirritable, happy dad, who when he hears your voice doesn't say, what? 
but just says, come here. What do you need, bud? That's the picture that Jesus is painting. And so know that when you call out to the Father, you have his heart and he pays attention. So Jesus tells us who we are addressing. We are addressing our Father, but he also tells us where this God is. And he says that we talk to our Father who is where? In heaven. Now I, I put heaven in Google Maps and just hit enter on Thursday. And, and what I found is that heaven is located over on Shepherd Drive. And it is a, it is a seafood place that has over 145-star reviews. Apparently, God lives at a restaurant that is described as having a decently priced shrimp po' boy. (laughs) Actually, Jesus tells us that we pray to our Father who is in heaven to get us away from the notion that God is located in one particular spot. He, He tells us that God is in heaven because he wants us to understand that God is around us at all times and accessible at all times. You see that the Hebrew notion of heaven is not that it's some far off distant place that we can't see, but the heavens were this unseen reality that is surrounding us at all times. It is above us, it is below us, it's next to us, it's in front of us, it's behind us. And what Jesus is saying is when, when you pray to our Father in heaven, what we're saying is we are recognizing that God is our Father and he's everywhere, all around us, accessible at all times. At all times. Very easily, our understanding of God gets caught up in particular people in particular places. So we think that we have to have a particular person say prayers for us. Well, we'll get Pastor Matt to pray it, then God will hear it. It has extra sauce on it. That's not true. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to pray for you, but it, like, your prayers work just as well. Or when I get to church on Sunday, if I make it to church on Sunday, I know exactly what I'm going to pray for. No, you know you can do that like before, before you hit snooze and don't come to church. You can do that before that. If God is in heaven, he's, he's all around us at all times. His proximity is always near to us. What that means is that every space can become sacred space. You call upon your father and he's already there. He is near you at all times. And so every space can be made sacred. That's what he's saying. And oh my goodness, if people of faith just understood what this meant, if all of us were insistent on taking Jesus up on this invitation to make every space that we're in something that can be sacred, recognizing the presence of God where he's able to interact and intervene and take over simply by calling upon his name. I mean, think about all the places that you're at in any given week. Yeah, you're at home a lot, sitting on the couch, streaming something on Amazon Prime, but you're also in the HOV lane, sacred space. You're on a Zoom call that could have been an email, (laughs) sacred space. You're at the sideline of a ball field waiting for practice to wrap up, sacred space. You're stuck in traffic, sacred space. You're standing in line for your overpriced coffee, sacred space. What Jesus is saying is that we call out to our Father in heaven who has a heart for us, and we can do that at any time because he's always around us, always near us, and any space can be sacred. I invite you to take Jesus up on that promise and transform some of your boring places, your normal places, into a sacred space simply by recognizing the presence of God and calling out to your Father. Now, 
Now that Jesus has told us who we're addressing and kind of where he's located, Jesus begins to tell us the types of things we pray for. And Jesus tells us that, that one of the things we pray for is for God's name to be hallowed. Let's read it one more time. This is what Jesus says. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallow is not a word that we use much these days. Many of us think it simply means to recognize something as holy. Uh, but, but it means a little bit more than that. It, it actually means to give something the respect that it is due because it is holy. It is to respect and recognize and admire something for the holiness that it possesses, for the holy thing that it is. And so what Jesus is saying is, you should pray, among other things, that God gets the recognition, respect, and the praise that he is due. We, we live in a world that though God is everywhere, he is overlooked, ignored, and often treated in an offensive way. Rather than honor God's presence and recognize it, we domesticate it and we trivialize it, and we try to get it to serve our purposes. Sure, we'll call upon the name of the Lord or recognize God, but we'll do it to make our politics sound more potent or our anger sound more righteous. I grew up in a home, a wonderful home, but one of the things that I mistakenly thought in my home was that God hated power tools <laughs> because according to my dad, he was always damning them or that Jesus' middle initial was H, because that's always what we said. Rather than recognize God's presence, we, we domesticate it. But what Jesus is saying is one of your prayers should be that God gets the respect and the praise that he's due, because you're better off when you recognize just how amazing God is. Imagine for a moment that someone of incredible renown walked into this room. I'm not talking about someone who's just you know, popular in a pop culture sense, but someone whose, whose work and life and legacy is profound, like the late Nelson Mandela or, or, or a former president or, you know, the person we're all fanboying about, Zelensky, walked into the room right now. But we all just ignored him. Like we saw them, we knew who they were, but then we just completely ignored them. This person who is, is worthy of, at the very least, a handshake and a thank you and a, an appreciation that they're here with us in our presence. They get none of that from us. We just ignore them. Something inside of you would say, oh, this is not right. This person deserves some kind of recognition for being in our midst. Also, we're missing out if we don't recognize who is here with us. Why are we not saying anything about it? That's what Jesus is getting at when he talks about hallowing the name of the Father. It's about recognizing who is in the heavens all around you, with you every day, who loves you like a righteous and good Father. Recognize that he's there. You're better off when you recognize the incredible person who is in your presence, not because he's an egomaniac and he needs it, but because you are blessed and benefited by recognizing and respecting the God who loves you. If you don't know how to start praying, start here. Just recognize that God is real and that he's near and give him thanks.
Thank you for being so powerful that you gave me a life. Yeah, filled with some things I wouldn't have chosen, but also filled with some things I would never, ever, ever want to go without. Thank you. Thank you for, from what I'm told, forgiving every single sin I've ever committed through Jesus because there are some doozies in there. Thank you for being willing to hear my prayer even though I don't know what to say or how to say it. Thank you. If you don't know where to begin with prayer, begin by hallowing God's name, just recognizing he's there and saying thank you for his characteristics. That's how it starts. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May the world give you the respect that you deserve and may it begin with me. May it begin with me. You know, this, this prayer teaches us some beautiful things. It teaches us about the God who invites us to be in conversation with him. It also teaches us what prayer is. It teaches us that prayer is, prayer is an opportunity for us to call out to a father who has brought us into his family through Jesus Christ and whose heart is always for us and kind to us. Prayer is an act of faith where we take normal spaces and we turn them into sacred spaces, recognizing God's presence. And prayer is an opportunity for us to give God the, the praise and the recognition that he so often is robbed of in this world. If you're here and, and you're skeptical about the Christian faith or in, in particular about prayer or maybe about the person of Jesus, I, I want to... I want to recognize that, and I realize that there's often baggage attached with that, and I don't want to minimize it. But what I'll say is this. As is the case in most every important relationship, communication is key. And I recognize that you have some issues with him. But what I'm saying to you is this. If you can, if you can wrap your mind around the communication piece, all of the other things that you think are so big will either fall into place or fall away. Because in the end, communication is the most important part of the relationship. And so my homework for you is to just believe that and to take God up on that invitation to call out to him, to turn some sacred, to turn some normal space into a sacred space call out to God on the Peloton and recognize that it's not just you there or the person who's screaming at you on that screen, but that the God of the universe is there in that moment with you and that you can recognize him and that he is your father and he loves you. And that by calling out to him, you change that from a workout into a moment of worship. just by one phrase, one prayer. May we give God the respect and recognition that he deserved but is so often robbed. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Amen. 
there's only one way to, to close out this particular message, and that's with the Lord's Prayer. So I invite you to say these words with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.